It's time now for the complete story with Rich Bot, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Rich Bot with today's complete story. Well, hello, folks. This is Rich Bot, and I'm glad to be back in our Bot Radio Network studios today with Eben Fowler. Eben, welcome. Oh, thank you, Rich. And we just got back from Phoenix, Arizona, where we attended the Harvest America Crusade with Greg Laurie, where thousands of people came to know Christ as their Savior. What a thrill that was. It was and then great. That was, it was. And then it was followed up by the Southern Baptist Convention, where we had a booth on the exhibit floor together with national religious broadcasters, and we had a chance to visit with some of our best ministry partners and friends. That's right. And, and actually, what we're about to hear, we have three different interviews coming here. The first is with Pastor H.B. Charles, Jr., from Shiloh Church in Jacksonville, Florida, then Mike Whitehead, a good friend of ours, general counsel for the Missouri Baptist Convention, and then the final segment is with Greg Laurie, the uh, speaker on A New Beginning. And you'll hear some background noise because this is right there on the exhibit floor at the Southern Baptist Convention. And so here we are, and we have a new guest. We've been talking with some great people. That's right. Last night, they announced the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference, mm-hmm. and he's here with us today. Go ahead. That's right. Pastor H.B. Charles, Jr. with Shiloh Church in Jacksonville, Florida. We are so glad to have you here. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be with you. Well, you know, I was talking with you before we went on the air a, a little bit about this uh, pastors conference and that was the first two days it was sunday and monday of the convention and then the convention itself tuesday wednesday uh and you you told me that you had just begun to learn what you've gotten yourself into (laughs) so tell us about what what the pastors conference is all about and then what your duties are going to be for next year sure so the southern baptist convention begins each year with a two-day pastor's conference that really ministers to pastors, church leaders, and those who show up as messengers. And it is, in a real sense, an independent event from the convention business that takes place on Tuesday and Wednesday. And each year a new president is selected, and it'll be my joy to prepare the conference for next year's meeting, which will be in Dallas, Texas. So you get to do all of the, you oversee the organization of that pastor's conference. You don't have to do it all. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. But, and, and we were able to experience some of that uh, as well. And, and, you know, really great. What an encouraging time for pastors. You know, pastors coming from all across the country, and all of them have different things that they deal with. It's a, an incredible responsibility. Some of them are having great times, and some of them are having struggles. And, it, and the sense that I got was that it was a real time of encouragement for pastors. Sure. And... Just to be a part of it this week as one who sat under the word and heard the exposition of God's word from Philippians, I was greatly encouraged. And to have the opportunity this coming year, God willing, to prepare an event to encourage and inspire and to uplift pastors who really are on the front lines of Christian service. The church is the hope of the world and the vital role the pastors serve is important and many go unsung. A few celebrity pastors are well known, but many outside the limelight go about their work plodding along without without much attention and have this opportunity to serve the church by serving pastors is a great privilege and joy. So do you have any any ideas yet that you want to reveal about what you're going to do next year? Do you want to just kind of keep that uh, un- under wraps for now? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor, Pastor Charles, I, I will say this much. I, I am very clear that our goal is to encourage pastors mm-hmm. through faithful Bible exposition. Yes. So the event will, God willing, 
with all of our best efforts, focus, faithful, sound, biblical preachers. Pastor Charles, I really believe we're living in strategic times, and I have the sense that God is moving across our nation and around the world. What do, what do you see happening in the church today? Sure. I really do believe that this is an important time to live in for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think about 2 Timothy chapter 3, where in the first half of that chapter, Paul says that I want you to know that there are going to come times of trouble, perilous times. And in the first nine verses, he predicts all of those elements of what the times will look like. It's ancient scripture, but you got to remind yourself as you read it that it's not the USA Today. It's that relevant and current. But in the second half of the chapter, he simply says, no matter how much the times change, don't edit the script. Stick with the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And the church has the message, which is the hope of the world. And the world at its worst needs the church at its best. These are great times for the gospel. Absolutely. Now, we have radio. We don't have television. Um, you're an African-American pastor, and we all <laughs> come together at the foot of the cross. Absolutely. What do you see happening in terms of every different people group coming together as, as Christians and believers to do the work of the ministry? Sure. I do believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. And as you read the New Testament, you'll see that the fruit of the gospel is not merely a Christian, but the church. And the emphasis of the church is that the gospel takes two great polarized groups, Jews and Gentiles, and brings them together by the blood of Jesus, which makes it vital that the church in our day represents the Lord Jesus Christ in every nation, tribe, tongue, language, beyond racial, ethnic distinctions to show that the ground indeed is level at the foot of the cross and Jesus Christ is our peace. Amen. Well, tell us a little bit about Shiloh Church. Uh, tell us about your congregation and what are some of the great joys that you have serving there? Sure. Very quickly, our church is 142 years old. I have served there a little more than eight years. A special thing going on in the life of our church is that a little bit less than three years ago, our 100-plus-year-old predominantly African-American church merged in our city with a 100-plus-year-old predominantly white Baptist church. Wow. And we have been a merged congregation for about two years now, and God has put us in a position to not just preach the gospel, but to live the gospel that we preach in fellowship and community with one another. It is not the course that we thought and planned, but God orchestrated it by his wonderful providence, and it's an exciting season in the life of our Great church. Great story. That's wonderful. For such a time as this. Indeed. Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., Shiloh Church, Jacksonville, Florida, next year's president of the Pastorate Conference. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. Thank you, Pastor Charles. Rich, joining us now on the exhibit hall floor of the Southern Baptist Convention here in Phoenix, Mike Whitehead, an old friend of ours. He's the general, <laughs> not that old. I mean, we've, we've been friends for a long time. That's a what long, I mean. That's long time friend. <laughs> a long time friend. Uh, he's general counsel for the Missouri Baptist Convention and also a member of the Committee on Committees. And, Welcome. And he's from oh, Kansas City. That's I mean, right. he's, he's, he's a, a hometown guy. friend of ours that right. we've known for a long, long time. Right. An old friend. You, <laughs> let me tell you, when he and his wife Jan were uh, 
dating, I believe, or newlywed, they drove around in their car in Kansas City listening to Teen Tempo, which was a program that, that I did later. My brother hosted and sister by hosted by Rich, Rich Bott, Bott and then David Bott, Arla Bott, and uh, that, that we were a blessing to them way back then, right. and uh, we've continued to be friends all these many years. That was a long time ago, Rich. Back in the, long, ni- back long in the, the, ni- the 1970s, that was in the let's, previous let's, century. Let's get yes. off of that topic and move on, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mike, well, one of the things we were talking well, about... And he's, a, was, he's a good Christian lawyer. That's right. That's and, right. And that's not an oxymoron, is no, it? No, not here. And, okay. and let me, let me just, this isn't in your notes, but let me just brag on <clears throat> Mike Whitehead a minute. Um, the, the, um, the ability that we have to have uh, religious liberty in, mm-hmm. in schools, in colleges, and then down into the high school uh, area, but that started with a case that Mike and his partner brought all the way to the Supreme Court, uh, and that was in Kansas City. It was 1981, case of Widmar versus Vincent. It was argued on October 6th of 81, which happened to be Sandra Day O'Connor's first week on the job. Mm. So her first church-state case was the Widmar case out of Kansas City, and the key issue in that case was it was about equal access for Bible clubs on UMKC campus, and UMKC said, we can't let a Bible club meet because we're providing heats and light and bricks and mortar to the, the student union, and that would violate the state constitution, not the federal. They said it would violate the state's Blaine Amendment, it's called, mm-hmm. which says there can be no financial aid given from the state treasury to religious worship or teaching. So, so it it just so happens that on April 19 this year, my son and I handled a case along with ADF, the Trinity Lutheran Church case versus Comer, in which this was Justice Gorsuch's first week on the job. His first church state case was from Missouri, Trinity Lutheran Church in Columbia, Missouri. How about and that? And it involved the Blaine Amendment. Oh, my, my goodness. What so an interesting you've, you've coincidence. Been, you've been defending our religious liberties all the way before the Supreme Court yeah. for many, many years. About 36 years now. What, what do you see happening in these days in which we live? I really believe we're living in strategic times, but in terms of religious liberty, it's under attack, isn't it, like never before? It is phenomenally under attack. Uh, the fact that we're having to relitigate cases that we thought were settled in, in 1981, the court was clear in an eight-to-one decision that the state constitutional restrictions, the Blaine Amendment, can't trump free exercise of religion under our First Amendment. And yet today, the state of Missouri's attorney general and the, and the, the solicitor general's office took the same position was taken in 1981 in an almost extreme position. Shockingly, to the extent that liberals on the Supreme Court in our oral argument on April 19 argued in our favor that the state's position was too extreme to be plausible. Well, let me ask you this. Are you talking about the Missouri Attorney General before this last election? Before the last election. Because oh, yeah. Missouri has uh, has had an election since it's then. change. And Joshua Hawley is a wonderful Attorney General Excellent. that is a champion of religious exactly. liberty. In fact, ironically, Josh Hawley, as a private attorney working for as the University of Missouri Law School's professor, while he was still campaigning for office, he filed a brief in the Trinity Lutheran Church case on our side Mm. as friend of the court for the Assemblies of God organization. And because he had been involved in it previously, he recused himself, of course, in this oral argument, and he let Jay Nixon uh, and his attorney general that Chris Coster's uh, solicitor general argued the case for them. That was from the previous administration. Correct. You know, Mike, one of the things that this points out to me, you're talking about, you're contrasting right now with 1981, and you said, you know, it should have been settled back then. What this points to is the fact that we have to be 
eternally vigilant, don't we? That's the price of freedom, they say, is you can't assume those battles of the last generation have been won for keeps. We've got to keep fighting, refighting, and the hostility and the institutional governmental uh, anger, hostility toward religious freedom is unprecedented, nothing like we saw in 81. Well, this was the first case that Judge Gorsuch heard then on the Supreme Court. What was your impression of Justice Gorsuch? It was actually his second day on the job at his first religious liberty case. His first day on the job, the news media said he asked lots of questions right out of the box. And a few criticized him and said, well, he ought to show more deference to the more senior justices. (laughs) So he did that on day two. And during our case, he waited until the last two minutes after all the other senior justices had their chance to ask questions. And then he grilled the solicitor general for the state of Missouri with two very specific questions that just blew them out of the water and let us know clearly he's on our side. That's fantastic. Mike Whitehead, we thank you for the work that you've been doing for so many years, uh, helping to protect our religious liberty. We appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Well, Rich, here we are on our final interview here on the exhibit floor uh, hall here at the Southern Baptist Convention in Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to be wrapping this up. This is our last program, and uh, we have saved a very special guest for last his name is? Greg Laurie. Of <laughs> course, you. our listeners know him as the host of A New Beginning. That's yeah. right. Radio every day on Bot Radio Network. And then, of course, Sunday night we heard the, the tremendous Harvest America crusade here in Phoenix. Well, you know, I was going to say, uh, we're going to be talking with a guy that we saw from a very, very, very long distance hmm. on Sunday night. I don't know what, about a football field and a half away. Yeah. And well, then and here he is sitting right across the table from us. That's so my this honor. Is great. And I want to thank you guys for having me on. And I want to especially thank you, in particular, Rich, for for airing uh, the Harvest America event on your network. You know, as we were just saying before we went on air, uh, the word broadcast is really a a word that comes from the phrase of sowing seed. And in the parable of the sower, you know, the seed was just thrown, some fell on rocky ground, some on receptive ground, some on ground embedded with weeds and so forth. And our job is just to throw the seed or literally broadcast it as far and wide as we can. And you did that, so I appreciate that because, you know, there's probably paid programs that would be happy to be on, but you opened up the space for us, and I I pray God blesses your, continues to bless your network for that. Well, thank you, Greg. I believe we live in strategic times, and uh, we have an opportunity for the advancement of the kingdom, for the the proclamation of the gospel, that we thought maybe that door was closing with this last election, but the Lord has seen fit to allow that to remain propped open, and I believe that our role is to advance the kingdom and, and to make the most of the opportunities that the the Lord has given us. So true. And, and these are such critical times. You know, people are so stressed out. They're so agitated. They're concerned. I mean, for obvious reasons, terrorism, the threat is stronger than ever. And then we have a crazy nation like North Korea threatening to nuke us. And we have ongoing conflicts all around the world. And so I think people are really searching for answers and for truth. And my friend John Irwin, we'll talk about in a moment, but he and I are working on a film project together on the life of Steve McQueen Mm -hmm. and his conversion. But John produced a video called The Time Is Now, and he is pointing out that there is a convergence of technology in our day because of the, the internet, because of smartphones that are worldwide, where we can literally fulfill the Great Commission 
in our lifetime. The, the, the technology changes, but yeah. the message is the same. That's it. And that's what was so beautiful Sunday night when you, yeah. when you preached at the Harvest America Crusade. It was yeah. the simple plan of salvation. Yes. You made it so clear, and so many thousands of people responded. That just brought tears to my eyes when the young lady at the end started singing the hymn of invitation, yes. come, come Just As You come Are. Come Just As You Are. That was Jordan Sparks, mm. who won American Idol, and she sang that song so beautifully, so powerfully. In fact, at one point while she was singing, I had to just stop and look at her like wow that's really good mm, yeah, <laughs> i don't have was. time to listen but that is really good but it was a great moment and you know and really it's just it's the god honored time blessed or the time honored god blessed gospel that i'm preaching and, and what i do in a way is very old school i mean when it's all said and done we use all the latest technology we have the coolest new christian bands we have the best graphics we do everything we can but when it's all said and done, it's a simple gospel message. And, you know, Rich, I really learned how to do it from Billy Graham. Uh, I spent, a, I've known him for 25 years. And for the last eight years of his public ministry, I was there with him, helping him with the sermon preparation. Because he asked me to assist him. I was just starting my crusade ministry as he was ending his. And so it gave me a lot of time one-on-one -on -one with Billy to not only observe him preaching, but privately hanging out with him, being able to ask him any question. And I didn't realize it, but God had enrolled me in the finest evangelistic university on earth. Mm. And in looking back in retrospect, I realized how I was being prepared. We, you know, Greg, yeah. one of the things that and I mentioned that I think, Rich, to you is that uh, Harvest America Crusade being there just reminded me an awful lot uh, of a Billy Graham yeah. crusade. Because I remember watching one of those with my family yeah. when I was a kid yes. on, on a black and white yeah. television. <laughs> and, and, you know, the message hasn't changed. No. The accoutrements are a little bit different, yeah. and, and the music is different for yeah. sure. But the message is the same, and it, it really felt like that. So you're, that's you're interesting to I hear thought. that. Black and white television. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm true. Not, I'm not going to say anything about how close we are in age, Rich. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so it was. Uh, it was just neat that way. And uh, you know, one, there's a story that you told at the crusade mm -hmm. about a, a Bible and yeah. Steve McQueen and Billy yes. Graham. Would you like to tell that story? Sure. Um, well, Steve McQueen, the number one movie star in the world at the time just became disillusioned with the whole Hollywood scene. He walked away from it. And he moved to a place called Santa Paula, California. And one of the things he wanted to do, he was had more money than he could spend the rest of his life. He had worldwide fame. He, he had the incredible car collection, motorcycle collection. But he was disillusioned and empty and searching. And But he wanted to learn how to fly. And he bought an old Stearman biplane, which ended up uh, being the plane that only a certain pilot could teach him how to fly, a man named Sammy Mason, who was a Christian. And that conversation, or the conversations that Steve and Sammy had in the cockpit, resulted in Steve's conversion. He came to faith in the Ventura uh missionary church there. Uh, and so Steve was a believer attending Because of church. the witness of his uh, pilot instructor. That's right. He's uh, Sammy Mason, the pilot, sowed the seed. Leonard DeWitt, the pastor, pretty much pulled in the net. He gave an invitation one day after church, and Steve accepted Christ and told Pastor DeWitt later, because I talked to Pastor DeWitt about this. So now Steve's a believer. Well, tragically, about six months after his conversion, he finds out he has cancer, mesothelioma. Uh, and he, he's fighting it. The doctors have given him no hope. So He's on his way to Mexico to a clinic where they would do a surgery for him. He charters uh, a Learjet, 
and he's he asked to meet with Billy Graham. Now, this is the second time Steve met with Billy. The first time they spent a lot of time together, but now he knows he's getting this, you know, big surgery that he may not survive. So Billy meets him out there on the tarmac. He's on the plane with Steve. They have prayer together. And uh, Steve had misplaced his Bible. And Billy said, well, here, take my Bible. He gave his personal Bible to Steve. Steve flew down to Juarez, Mexico. The surgery was successful. They removed all of the tumors from his body. But tragically, about uh, an hour later, Steve died in a recovery room. And they went to his bed, pulled the sheet back, and he was holding Billy's Bible. Mm, that's right. And so I, Barbie McQueen, Steve's widow, has that Bible. So she showed it to me. And she didn't understand all the things written in it. And I, I was looking through it, and I go, well, these are sermon notes. These are points yeah. that Billy preached from. And these are verses he underlined. And Billy had, this was a used Billy Graham Bible. This was something he preached from. And on the cover, or on the front, his name is imprinted, Billy Graham. But when you open it up, he signed it to my friend Steve McQueen. May God bless you. So, mm. you know, to hold that Bible that Billy used to preach, he gave it to Steve. Steve was holding it as he entered into eternity. That was a pretty special moment. And I have that posted on my social media. Someone wants to see a picture. And you had that Bible on Sunday night. I did. You I held, held it up. up. That, that was a neat moment. That's cool. Wow. But there's a film coming out yes. about, about this. Yes. Is that coming out this fall? Yeah, this September. It's called Steve McQueen, American Icon. By the way, I have a book that I've written called Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon. It is out right now. That's right. We talked about that on a, an That's interview right. about two weeks ago. Yeah, so the, the book is done. The book is out there at harvest.org or amazon.com or any website that sells books. But the movie's in production, and it this, I'm telling you, this movie's going to be amazing. Directed by John Irwin, who directed Woodlawn, a fantastic film. Uh, and so we went on location to San Francisco where the bullet film was shot. Mm -hmm. And we took, uh, I actually have my Mustang not far from here. Oh, that's, that is that's yours. That's mine, yeah. Okay, all right. It's a replica bullet Mustang. Looks uh, identical to the one on the film. I sat in beautiful. it the other night. Did Got you? pictures taken. Okay. Yes. Beautiful <laughs> green color. Yeah, yes. Oh. It's called Highland Green. Mm. So anyway, uh, we drove that car in the same route that McQueen drove it in Bullet. And then I interviewed uh, Mel Gibson who's a fan of McQueen and gave us some great insights into McQueen, the actor, and why he would disconnect from Hollywood as only a movie star could explain it. Uh, we talked with Steve's wife, Barbie McQueen. We interview her at length. She gives us details about what happened in his life toward the end of it and also as a photojournalist and has hundreds of photos, many of which will be in the film. Uh, we interviewed Stan Barrett, a stuntman that sowed a seed in Steve's life. And then we interviewed the son of Sammy Mason, Pete Mason, who also spent a lot of time in the cockpit with Steve. So first-hand accounts. Greg Laurie is our guest right now on the Complete Story broadcast. And Greg, yesterday was a pastor's conference, and there was a North American Missions Board panel discussion that you were on about uh, winning souls yeah. and, and encouraging people to get involved in gospel conversations. That's right. You had a word of uh, encouragement for the pastors about, at the end of their message, giving the invitation. Yeah. What I was saying to the pastors, and this is really true of any believer listening, is, you know, you need to be intentional in evangelism. But when you're approaching a non-believer, the objective is to have a conversation, not a confrontation. It's to build a bridge, not burn a bridge. And ultimately, it's to win the soul, not just win the argument. Mm -hmm. Okay, so establish contact, be a nice person, engage them, talk to them. And as I pointed out, everyone's favorite subject is themselves. But here's where the intentionality comes in. You're looking for an opportunity 
to engage them with the story of Jesus. One of the best places to begin is your testimony. That's your story of how you came to faith and every believer has a testimony. But what I'm saying to pastors is I don't care what your topic is. You could be talking about any subject under the sun. You can always attach an invitation for people to come to Christ at the end. And coming back to Stephen Queen, he became a Christian when Leonard DeWitt gave an invitation in a sermon. In fact, after a long uh, lunch, Steve and Leonard were talking, and Steve had all these questions for Pastor DeWitt. And uh, and Steve said, well, thank you, Pastor. You answered all my questions. And then Leonard said, well, I have a question for you, Steve. And Steve said, what? You want to know if I'm a born-again Christian, right? <laughs> and with that familiar McQueen smile. And Leonard said, yes, I do. And Steve says, oh, yes, I am. I, accept, I prayed to accept Christ after one of your messages when you gave the invitation a few weeks ago. So... Who knows who's sitting out in the audience? You know, a Steve McQueen, whoever. Doesn't have to be a movie star, just a person searching. So I'm encouraging pastors, be intentional, give people the opportunity, and you might be surprised by the response. Greg, there's a a book about your life story called Lost Boy. Yeah. And uh, can you share just a little bit of that with our listeners so that they understand how the Lord prepared you for the ministry that you have today? Yeah, I will. Well, you know, in my in that book I've written called Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, I actually wove a lot of my personal story into it. You might ask, well, why? It's not about you. Well, here's what I discovered. When I was looking at the childhood of Steve McQueen, I did not realize until I started the book and researching uh, his life that our childhoods were almost identical. Steve was born to an alcoholic mother. So was I. Uh, Steve had a bunch of stepdads, uh, stepdads, some who were abusive. So did I. Steve had never knew his biological father, nor did I. He went searching for his biological father. So did I. Uh, Steve was sent to a reform school called the Boys Home in Chino, and Chino, and I was sent to military school. So as I discovered more about his life, it gave me a certain degree of empathy in telling his story, not justifying things he said and did, but maybe to some degree explaining it like, I know what this is like. Because when you have to grow up like that as a kid, without adult supervision, effectively without a mother or a father, you're growing up like an orphan. You learn to fend for yourself. You have to think for yourself. You become very hard. You develop a shell to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Survival skills. It's a survival skill. And I have that. And Steve had that. And so it was hard for Steve to accept love and to, you know, believe he could be forgiven. And I had the same problem when I first became a Christian. It was hard for me to let people love me. And it was hard for me to love them back. And it took time. (laughs) And uh, so, but my story is, yes, I came from that background. Then I got into drugs when I was a kid. And I just was going the wrong way. But at the age of 17, I heard the gospel in a way I understood and I asked Christ to come into my life, and it changed the course of my life. So in a way, I'm the least likely person to be an evangelist, and in another way, I'm the most likely person. Least likely in that I wasn't raised in the church and all that, but most likely because I still remember what it was like to be a non-believer, and I think I can connect in a way because I can sort of anticipate their questions, bring them into my message, and hey, to whom much is forgiven, that one loves the much more, Jesus said. Sunday night, uh, when people came forward, they prayed to accept the Lord as their Savior. You said, make sure you have one of these start Bibles. Yeah. How important is it for someone that comes to Christ to begin getting into the Word of God? It's like essential, like mandatory. Like if you don't do it, 
you are not going to grow spiritually and you're not going to make it. It's key. Coming back to the parable of the sower. Uh, some seed goes on the roadside. The birds eat it. Those are they that hear the word of God, but it never really penetrates our heart. Some seeds sowed on ground embedded with rocks. See, the, these are the ones that shoot up quickly, but when hardship comes, they fall away. And some is on w- soil that's embedded with weeds and the words choked out. But those that heard the word of God and kept, kept it were the ones that brought forth fruit. So the key is hearing God's word and keeping it. So you have to study the Bible. You need to memorize the Bible. And that's why I appreciate the Bot Radio Network, because I'm looking at these banners with your preacher, Steve Gaines, Tony Evans, Ronnie Floyd, Adrian Rogers, John MacArthur. You even got this crazy guy sitting Greg, here. Greg, Greg Laurie's on there, too. <laughs> you know, what a lineup of a man, Charles Stanley, and the list goes on. And so, you know, you listen to a network like this, you're going to get the Word of God. And that is essential for spiritual growth. Uh, one of the things, of course, that's been discussed at this convention pretty much from the time we got here, is all about evangelism and winning souls. That's one of the, the I mean, that's been the goal, but yeah. th- that was really emphasized. Yes. Tell our listeners about uh, just a word from you in terms of how important that is for them to get involved in evangelism. Well, it's, it's essential not to do a shameless book plug, but I did write a book about it called Tell Someone. And it's a small book that you could read in one setting. And it's sort of like a brain dump of 40 years of Mm -hmm. evangelism in a small book. I kind of like the challenge of it because I couldn't sermonize. I had to just get to it. So I wrote it. You know, my, I didn't transcribe sermons. I wrote it like a conversation over a cup of coffee. But here's what I would say. Evangelism isn't as hard as people make it. I think we overthink it. We get too stressed out about it. I think when you're just walking with Jesus, it can come very naturally. Engage with people. Look for natural moments and sometimes supernatural moments that God will open up to shift the conversation to spiritual things. Gospel conversations. Gospel, that's the term we've heard. Gospel conversations is exactly right. But but I'm into sowing seeds. But you know what? There's a time to reap them as a reap the seed too. As the great theologian Kenny Rogers once said, <laughs> you got to know when to fold them, know when to hold them, right? And so know when to sow the seed, but sometimes the Lord will speak to your heart and say, ask the person right now if they would like to believe in Jesus. Well, Rich, we've uh, got, to, got to get out of here. One final question. Encourage our radio listeners to Tune in and hear Greg Laurie every day on Bot Radio Network, A New Beginning. Well, Greg, thanks so much for being our final guest on this special Complete Story, part of our coverage of the Southern Baptist Convention from Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you for letting us partner in ministry with you. It's our honor. Absolutely. Well, it's been great being here, Rich, and it's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening, folks. Uh, This is Evan Fowler along with Rich Bot. Thank you for listening.